Hello and welcome to Autoholics Anonymous by the Autoholic. I'm Stephen Diamond and I'm joined here with Ryan. What's up, Ryan? Hey, everybody. How's it going? Calling in today from Monterey, Mexico. I was going to say Rhode Island looks very different today. Yeah, well, there's a little bit of smog, unfortunately, but I do get to... Excuse me, that was really timely to my comment about the smog. I do get to look at the uh, mountains, which are quite beautiful, and uh, enjoy a little bit warmer weather than we have been experiencing in Rhode Island. So it's nice to be down here and uh, working hard, but having fun and driving some strange cars that we don't get uh, up north, you know? Yeah, like what? Uh, today, yesterday, I got a 2023 Chevrolet Onyx, which I had to look up. Yeah, I don't even know what this. Didn't know what it was. I actually first got a Bronco Sport, and uh, when I took it out, all of the uh, dashboard turned off on me, and it said the battery was low, and so I just drove right back and said, need a different car. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ford sucks, by the way. Everything's so cheap versus the other US OEMs. Yeah. I'm such a GM FCA guy over over uh, over Ford. It's interesting. I wonder how that translates into like, you know, the Maki things like that. I wonder if that feels cheap compared to, you know, GM's um, electric cars now that they're starting to come out with more of those. Like a Volt or something. Yeah, it would be interesting. I think maybe the Maki might be an exception. I did drive that and it felt nice, but they gave me a 2023 Onyx, which it turns out is produced in Ch- at GM China mm. for the, the you know South South and um, South American, Central American, and Mexican markets, and uh, it has a one liter, three cylinder turbocharged engine, paired with a pretty antiquated six speed auto, um, and, but it's all, all like leather. It's this tiny little sedan with leather on the inside, and it has has a sunroof, and it has like the the GM standard family screen, which is pretty nice, but then on the dashboard, the screen, you can always tell with these cars made in China, they have like a slightly distinct font or, or something on the screen. And I, I knew it in the back of my head. I said, this thing's made in China. <laughs> and I, I was right. Like the D when you put it in drive just looks a little off. We need to come up with a name for this font. We have to, or if it doesn't you know, have a font name already, but um, got to yeah. find out what that font name is. Yeah, you'll you'll have Times to... New Roman, but it's the you know Times New Communism. I don't know. <laughs> Times, Times New Beijing. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I will say three cylinder turbocharged one liter, pretty impressive. Like really? driving around these city streets, it's a lot better than a lot of the naturally aspirated you know small motors, just because it just has a little torque and little can carry a lot. Um, but what we wanted to talk about today was, uh, design, right? And, um, so, you know, there's a car that I really love and I think everybody knows by now I've, I've ordered this, uh, 2023 Cayman. There was something that I was considering in, you know, in contrast to that, mm-hmm. which is, uh, the 2022 BMW M2 competition. And boy, oh boy, did BMW get this car right, in my opinion. It's so good looking, uh, you know, just a really driver-focused interior as well. 
It's a car that you always turn around and look at after you park it in a parking lot. And, uh, you know, you sent us something the other day, Stephen, which maybe would make us feel a little different. Yeah, for sure. I, I know totally what you mean. I've never driven uh, the current M2, but a buddy of mine um, just bought one for himself a few months ago, an M2 comp, black on black. And I saw it in person for the first time a few weeks ago. And it's a very striking car. It looks good. Uh, it's definitely a head turner, like you say, when you walk away from it, you want to look back at it. Um, shout out to him, Andrew. He's the uh, M chapter for the country, like the membership uh, chapter coordinator. Um, so he's kind of in the BMW community. But, you know, it's it's such a cool car. And I've heard great things about the way it drives, which is ultimately BMW are driver's cars. That's They've always been known for that. But from time to time, they've been known to be good looking cars as well. And I recently saw the release of the design for the new 2023 BMW M2. And I'm not surprised, but also sadly surprised that it is following a lot of the BMW design and the design is ruined from the last one. It's just the funky kind of weird departure from what seems like a very good design. Um, and it begs a lot of questions about the way, the direction that BMW is going. Started with the three series and the four series, those large kidney or buck teeth kind of grills um, and this very loud uh, design aspect. Uh, and this is translated to the SUVs, uh, uh, the new I, uh, the i7 and the seven series uh, now with these split lights headlights um and it's very striking and yeah they're head turners but in a good way like I, I don't really feel so it's it's more like really someone designed a car to look like that um so i'm just a bit disappointed and and i would say uh for anyone if they want to go look up what the car looks like i think the front uh looks not so bad it's not as jarring as some of the other designs that have come out recently from BMW. It almost has a rally-esque boxiness to it, which I think is nice, but the proportions just don't seem right. And especially in the rear, I think the rear is the the worst part of the design. It just looks like the, the brake lights are a little sad. They're a little droopy. Like, you know, he had a stroke at the end of designing the car and, and it, it just kind of tapered off weirdly. Um, I have so many comments on what you just said, because <laughs> as you're talking, they're all relating to different things for me. And I just want to touch on the last one quickly, sure. which is like the stroke at the end of the brake lights. Right. And it's really funny that you explained it exactly like that, because it makes me think of when the E65 series came out. I remember I used to do this thing called Digimodding. This shows how big of a car geek I really am. And in my spare time, I would go on Photoshop and I'd be on these forums and I would Photoshop modifications or changes onto cars hmm. in a way that it was so good that almost, you know, it, it looked it looked realistic. And so there were lots of tutorials and folks who would be into doing this online. And one of the cars that I was the most proud of was I took an E6550, um, which was the Bengal design, that five series, which had those sort of like eyelash you know sort of like the cat eye effect at the end of the at the end of the headlights 
which I always felt like Bengal just took a little extra stroke at the end of his design. <laughs> and and I actually sort of I painted that area of the car to make it look like the headlights ended before that mm. that uh, you know that little mascara blip. So it, did it it's look funny good with that. It did. It did look good. I don't know where my Digimod is now. I'd like to go back and look at it to see yeah, how. Since you've never shared this with me. <laughs> yeah, so you're learning the the other uh, layer, layers of Ryan. This was before college. This was in like middle school. I have to go deep into the forums to find this. Yeah, um, but it, you know, it's neat that back then what I thought was a really dramatic design that I didn't like. Mm. And I wanted to relieve specifically that impact, you know, sort of an extra stroke. Now I love, I love the E65 series. We've talked recently about how it aged so much better than other cars from the era. Yeah. So uh, I, I also, I would say I hate the new M2. Not only do I dislike it, I feel a little bit passionately against it because the old one was so damn good. And this is just, it's an atrocity. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh I mean, all designs can't go on forever, so I know at some point they do have to take a step away from what has historically been accepted as as good looking or a beautiful looking car. Um, and I, I just had to look up who is responsible for for all these designs and who ruined the M2. Um, and we we found out it's this Croatian guy, and I want to make sure I say his name appropriately. But I might say it wrong anyways, but it's Domagoj Dukek. Did I say that right, Ryan? You are part Croatian. I'm guessing at the end is Dukec. Dukec. Would be my guess. My my yeah. name was supposed to be Abronovic, and they changed it when they came through Ellis Island. <laughs> um, yeah, so Domagoj, he is responsible from everything starting with the three series, those large kidney grills, the i7, the new kind of electric um suv yeah uh what is it the ix um yeah. the new seven series this and that so he started at bmw in 2010 but is now the uh lead designer one thing i wanted to reference back to and i wonder if this is what Domagoge was thinking of when he designed you, you the front, you know, which I laughed when you said you thought the front was not so bad because I might dislike the front more than the, I, I might like the front less than the back, honestly. Okay. Um, because I feel like the the grills look like they're straight off of a, a Pontiac Trans Am. Remember <laughs> Firebird, like from, from the, I'm trying to remember what year that would be. It must be the late 60s. And it has that snout where it's pushed up mm -hmm. in the middle and the two, you know, air vents. And I think this looks exactly like a firebutter, almost as if he digimodded it onto there. <laughs> yeah, he just took an old firebird and added some extra body cladding and uh, called it a BMW. Well, I, I, you know, I, I'm going to even go less to this guy's credit because I think all of the boxiness that you like isn't really his design. He just muddied up the boxy sort of chunky look of the two series that existed already. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, it'll be all about how the car drives. And thankfully, he doesn't have a hand in that. So we can only hope that it drives as well as the current M2 does. And 
who knows? We'll have to see if drivers still feel the same about when they walk away from their cars. Do they turn around and look at it or do they keep their heads straight ahead and, and disbelief and disgust of, of what their car actually looks like? I can say that I did. Uh, well, I was going to uh, get into this later in the podcast, but uh, when I was shopping for the Cayman, in addition to considering the uh, 2022 M2 I had on my mind, if I can't get a Cayman order, why not just order the new M2 just that way I could get a new car, you know, don't pay the premium, it's not going to depreciate, etc. But I looked at this design and looked at it and looked at it. And I said, there is no way I can buy that car because I just wouldn't be able to look back at it when I got out of it in the parking lot. <laughs> I'd be humiliated, you know? So, uh, so yeah, I, I don't think anyone's turning around. I yeah. wonder, maybe in five years, I'm going to be completely wrong. Well, that's that's the thing. I mean, if, if the E60 is is any case in point in, in BMW design, it like he could be designing beyond what we're accepting of right now. And, and that's, I've, I've read some articles that kind of goes into his mindset and they interview him about where he gets all this influence and what he's trying to achieve with his designs. And that's pretty much it. He wants to make a difference. He wants to stand out from the rest of the market and the party. And he's making a big departure for BMW and their historical kind of slow trend of of exterior design and making a, a dramatic departure from that uh there was a, a quote that i really liked where he compared the three series the five series and seven series which historically over the last 10 20 years have all kind of looked like each other just larger versions of you know one another or smaller and he compared them to russian nesting dolls where they are all different sizes but they all look exactly the same and now he wants to make them look unique so when you you're on the road and you see a car you're like oh yeah that's a three or a four series and that's definitely a seven series because they look nothing alike and i think about when it would put in that mindset and that point of reference i do think about mercedes and audi right now and they're very much the opposite they've kept true to the old bmw or the kind of the safe option where now all the Mercedes sedans look exactly the same. I have a hard time telling between an E-Class and a, a C-Class and an S-Class. I walked by an S560 yesterday and in my head, I was like, oh, that's a nice E-Class. And then I looked at the badge and I was like, oh, it's an S-Class. <laughs> I think right now more than ever with Mercedes, by the way, they really look all identical now. You know, down to the CLA, up to the up to the S class, and it is from another perspective, you could say for the CLA buyer, you're getting a lot of design for your short money versus the S class, right? And I'm sure perhaps that's actually appealing to a lot of people at the lower end of the Mercedes market. Right. No, I would agree with that completely. And I remember when the um, the two series kind of first came out here here in the U.S. Um, it, uh, and the it would just i mean the we had the cla at the time too and uh i just thought the cla looked a lot better the two series just seemed not well thought out it just seemed like a rush entry to try to compete in the us um with the cla and and these smaller cars that were suddenly getting popular again in the us but um yeah i, I don't know which is 
right or wrong. I do like the look. I don't look at the C, the E, or the S class Mercedes and think anything poorly about them. They all look good, but maybe it's a little boring over time. They all look pretty much the same. And even interior, they, they all have the same kind of design to them. Well, hasn't that been Mercedes deal since the beginning though? Think about our W123s that we love and adore. I mean, in the whole era from the 1960s through to the end of the W123, which I would sort of say is the end of that era, the cars looked really similar. I mean, the leather, the MB text on the seats was exactly the same on all the cars for God's sakes, you know, and and it was quite difficult to distinguish them from one another. But in a way, we we're all so attracted to those. So I don't I don't know that that's necessarily a detracting feature, uh, given how warmly I think maybe almost all car enthusiasts can think about that generation of Mercedes. Um, whereas I think of BMW a lot differently. BMW is I know what you mean that that the the cars have had some similarities over the years, but I don't think it's been the same as Audi and, and Mercedes. As I think of the history of BMW, they've had some eras with really strong departures, you know, and and not even just more recently. I think strong departures have kind of been their thing. So you go back to the original BMW sedans, designed by um, Wilhelm Hofmeister, <laughs> famous for the uh, Hofmeister kink, which we learned today. Can't believe this is a big car enthusiast that I didn't know what the Hofmeister kink was. I knew of the name, but for all for all of you who don't know, it's the way that the rear uh, the rear uh, side window curves in just towards the bottom rather than going straight down at an angle to the door. Uh, you know, he had that very sort of rounded looking Neue Klasse, the BMW Bavaria, all that you know, designed back in the 60s, early 70s. And then, you know, there was like the original 3 Series, which looked pretty close to that. But then once the next generation started coming around, so let's say like the E36 3 Series and the E39 5 Series, they were a huge departure from those cars, which were very, I guess, a little bit blobby in comparison. They, they were less dramatically shaped. And, you know, Pinky Lie came in, using like really strange curves on the E36, like the 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 trunk lid is sort of curved out almost as if it has a spoiler and there are harder angles. And sure, it was still boxy comparative to modern cars, but it was a huge departure, you know? And then you go to Bangle with the E60s we've talked about in the seven series from that era. Um, I, I do feel though for maybe there, Maybe you could break it up into like three eras. You have that original BMW, then you had like the 90s through the 2000s when Bangle came about. And I think from now, from Bangle until pretty recently, you know, they've been relatively conservative in their changes. Yeah, no, they definitely refined their look from the late noughts to now, I would say. And I, you know, I think for the better, and, you know, obviously, a reiteration of a design is jaunting at first, but obviously they they make the departure and then they fine tune it over the years. And so hopefully they find a way over these next few years, whether it's Domagoge himself, who's a part of it, or someone else who kind of builds off of the initial idea of these cars and tapers it back in some way. Um, but w- maybe they'll find a new 
kind of beautiful design that will set BMW forward for the next 20, 15, 20 years. I think that's their hope at least, you know. It's really interesting for me to think about that. How how do the powers at, you know, BMW, how do they decide on who's going to be their visionary to lead this track forward? I guess, you know, with any job, there's interviews, there's, you know, qualifications, they look at your resume, but somehow this is different. It uh, it has such a lasting impact. And uh, I really would be interested to understand the selection process and the decision making on the go forward for next generation of design. Must be quite the board involved in, in that, you would think. Oh, definitely. And it definitely takes a lot of years of just having your hand in the pot, so to speak, uh, over the years to contribute your ideas to the design. And I, I wonder how many submissions of car designs people on these larger teams, design teams, submit, you know, at, at random or uh, how much are, are kind of requested by the by the boards uh, for future designs and things like that. So maybe he just had enough successes in his contributions uh, and kind of worked his way up to be head of the design team. Um, there was a in the article I did find there was a comment about he made some comment about uh, it's hard to please a board or when it comes to a board there's there's a lot of different opinions and things. Um, but he's 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 out there saying he's not trying to design to please everyone and that it's hard to please everyone. Uh, so why not make something that's going to stand out? That's something that someone won't forget. Um, and he generally says that even though people might think something is is beautiful now and they love how it looks, but that doesn't mean it's going to stay looking good for the future, which I don't know if I agree with. I think of old Ferraris and I think, well, yeah, that's a pretty damn fine looking car these days. But um, well, think of a car. Let, let me give you the counterpoint to that. What's a car that we thought was really attractive? And it sort of petered out for you and became less interesting over time. I have one in particular in mind. Um, you can go first because I would have to think about that. So growing up, there was always a very clear hierarchy of 9-11s to me mm. of the different generations. <laughs> and the 9-11 that was at the top of the hierarchy was the 993. And the 993 mm. was this really special looking car to me and... I was so captivated by it. And now I like the 993, but I think I might choose any other 911 generation over the 993 when it comes to design. I crave the 964. The 964 is probably my favorite 911 at the moment. And at the time it was not probably so well liked or cherished. So not that the 993 looks bad, but Somehow, as time went on, that design has become a little more forgettable to me than I might have expected. That's a good, interesting point. And, and you know, the 993 historically is, is adored by people. Um, but I can see where you're coming from. There are definitely other designs of the 911 that are a little bit more intriguing. Uh, I think the 993 in some ways could be seen as a little boring. You know, maybe to Domagoge's point where 
it looks nice, but over time it loses its lust because uh, it just becomes a blob in, in the rest of the sea. You know? um, but that's that's interesting. I'm going to have to sit and think about it's so easy to think about cars that I initially thought were ugly, but came to to like the design of um, much more than cars that I initially thought were good looking, but don't think are good looking anymore. The only one that comes to my mind firsthand was the 350Z. I always kind of adored or liked the 350Z when it came out. I mean, maybe it lost its luster because they kept the same design for 15 years or whatever. But um, but yeah, now I look back in that car, it just seems a little boring and flat. I actually completely agree about that car. I was pretty excited when it came out. And then it totally lost all appeal for me. But you're right. They might have just made it tired by dragging it on for so long. Yeah, because I think you just end up comparing it to everything else that's on the market at the time. And you're still getting offered that same old design. And it's it's old. It's done. It's retired. And uh, I think it kind of holds that burden uh, the longer they carry it on past its its point of uh, point of you know, value. It's peak. Yeah, that, I th- cars do better when they were from an era and you compare them with other things from that era. Right. Yeah, for sure. But yeah. I wanted to look back and, and kind of some of where Domogoge might have gotten some of this aesthetic from. And if you look back at his history, he did work at uh, PSA Peugeot and Citroën from 2001-2010, which was a very historic, I mean, Citroën was always known for their funky design. So that right away seems like a good pairing. And especially in the early knots, um, they had some jaunting designs from the current class, especially the cars that they competed with in their market, um, which was the lower kind of middle tier uh, sedans and multiple people, multiple people carrier kind of vehicles of, of consumers and especially in Europe. Um, but he had a hand in, in the design of the Citroen C4 Coupe and the second gener- generation Citroen C5, which we learned, um, which had that convex rear window. Um, and that was a, a crazy idea and a crazy thing to do, especially for that time. So it, it makes sense. Maybe he, had a, he was the one for that. Interestingly enough, I've always loved that generation C5. It's always been a car that I've I've really been into. When we looked at the pictures earlier before the podcast, I almost couldn't tell if the rear window was convex or not. And I'm not sure if I had remembered that when I saw them, um, but it, it works on that car, right? And also, you know, you mentioned the C4 Coupe, which uses that really strong angle on the rear window. And it's, it's kind of very Sonic the Hedgehog-esque. <laughs> In fact, actually, looking at the Chevrolet Sonic, it looks a lot like that. I think both of those cars look like Sonic, Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, but both of them, they did really well. They held up. I mean, cars from the early 2000s, like, think about an Audi A6 from the early 2000s. That car, it looks like a fucking potato. Yeah, it is It is a big blob um, of, of roundness and, and kind of boringness. And I, I, I don't recall how that design was received when it came out at the time. Was it was it good looking? Was it modern? The Citroen or the Audi? 
the Audi? Yeah, it's a good question. I think everything was so square for so long, especially in Audi, Audi land, you know, everything was really square up to, up to 2000, right? I think maybe in 1999 that A6 came out and that was the start of Audi doing curvier designs. And I think it was exciting to people. There was that concept, uh, maybe it's the wrong name, but I want to say it's the Nouveau Lari. And that might've been the um, start of Audi's curvaceous design. Um, but yeah, I can't say that that C5 A6 was the best version of it. Although in all road form, I was a big fan of that. It looked really good yeah. and you tacked on some black plastic fenders and air suspension. An old formula that's been brought back to life for a lot of uh, competitors. You know, no one was really doing that besides them and, and Volvo with the cross country. I was wrong about the new Volari, by the way. I don't remember the name of the car, the concept that I'm thinking of. Mm. We'll, we'll write it in the uh, we'll write it in the Instagram post. <laughs> so you, you kind of brought this up to me before when we were talking about BMWs and I expect you have an answer already, but if you had to go back and, and choose a, a generation of, of BMWs, what would be your favorite design language? Um, you know, maybe specific car and also general area, like um, generation. I think I would probably choose the E36 3 Series. That to me is just about as good as it gets because it's an interesting combination of more classic square Germanic design with a little bit of flair, you know, from Pinky Lai, who did bold moves on the 996 and, and other and other amongst others. Um, but it's still, you know, the interior of that as well. It just retains that very classic German feel. And I, you know, I'm obviously biased because I have the E36 three series convertible. But every time I get into it, it just sort of feels like a great car and and of the time which is interesting because i have a very similar feeling when i get into your 996 i think mm -hmm. that those two cars have aged similarly quite well although they're from the same year my e36 and your 996 your 996 does though look a lot more modern yeah no incredibly so but i, I know exactly what you mean about it's just modern enough to to hold up but also has a very nostalgic feel on the interior without being so outdated that it's inconvenient or, or seems foreign. Correct. That's exactly what I mean. Yeah, you you captured the essence, I guess, because you've often thought about that with your own 996. And, <laughs> and I've driven your, your BMW as well, and I know exactly what you mean with that. Um, you know, for me, I think I, I am a product of the past and I have to choose something that's comparable to my own W123 generations. I, I would say the era of like the E28 and um, the Shark Nose 6 Series, things like that. I think the square, square design, but with a slight kind of slant or sporty angle to it before it became a little bit too modern, before probably some more crash testing and safety uh, regulations got enforced that altered the way cars were designed. I, I think that that would probably be my favorite era of, of kind of BMW design. 
You know, something interesting about those versus the Mercedes of the time is looking back, I believe that the, the shark nose BMW and the E28 and so forth, they look a bit heavy on the front and the back. So think of um, like a Lincoln Town Car from the uh, late 70s, early 80s, the, Mal- the Malays era American cars. You know how they seem to have a short wheelbase with big overhangs in the front and rear? Yeah. <laughs> the shark nose gen of BMW has just a slight hint of that. And I always felt that that dated them a bit for me, whereas mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I, I don't think that that, you know, the one, two, three has that at all. The the wheels are pretty close to the front and, and back on the one, two, three. The back hangs out more than the front for sure. On which one? The one, two, three. You think the back hangs off more than the front? Uh, Yeah, it does. Yeah. You got that huge boot. They just like tacked it on for luggage space, I feel like. <laughs> And bodies, you know, whatever you need to throw in. <laughs> Those trunks have carried a lot of shit over the years. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I know what you mean. And I've, but I've, I think personally, I've always loved that long bonnet uh, hood design. Um, I think it has a very elegant look to it. Not to say that the, the Lincoln, I mean, they are elegant in their own kind of way. Um <laughs> But it, definitely an exaggeration of that. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's a it's cool to see all that space out in front of you, and you're set far back. And uh, I was always a big fan of the the Gullwing Mercedes, and that's everything that's kind of an iteration of that look or feel or design. You know, Jaguar XJ things like that. I think that looks super cool. Well. You know, I get I get that because I also really like the long bonnet feel, but I notice that I tend to gravitate towards cars that are that are curvier with a long bonnet. So, for mm-hmm. example, I prefer the Jag E-Type or even Karen's Miata actually has it. My wife's Miata has it. It feels like a very long bonnet in proportion to the rest of the car. You feel like you're sitting on the back wheels, but it sort of curves down in front of you, whereas... That Beamer and the and the American cars was like kind of like a flat, a flat look. Um, very interesting. I I uh, you know I've never driven a Porsche slant nose, but mm. just talking about this out loud, I wonder what that looks like in front of you as you're driving. That'd uh, be kind of interested to to experience that. Just as the antithesis to this. Yeah. No. Absolutely. That would be really cool to to do and. I think of uh, you know the 928. That's also another car that I really love that has a long hood flat and bottom. <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah, that does. That's very flat. Yeah, and I, I don't do prefer use the earlier generation. Yeah, <laughs> I do prefer the earlier generation of the 928 versus the later gen. But uh, yeah, I don't know what it is. I guess I just think they look cool. Well, but, interestingly enough, then what is uh, Jumping forward to a, a new era of BMW design, um, are you as into something like the E60 as I am now? You know, so I hated the E60 and everything, but now I, I'm I'm totally crazy about it, and it's the antithesis to my e, E36, uh, at least where it started. But somehow now I get a similar feeling from it. Yeah, I would say so. I, it definitely, I think when I look back on it, it holds up. 
um, and and in some ways it is also a little bit of a boring blob, but I think it definitely depends on how it's spec'd. Um, I think some could be designed or put together a little better depending on the wheels and the color of the car, things like that. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's held up and, uh, you know, I didn't originally like it. That and the, like the first modern late knots, early, um, tens, seven series, I was never a big fan of. So around that era, I was also not a big BMW fan. Yeah, I wasn't either. I can't think of anything I liked from BMW at that time. <laughs> the only other BMW car that historically I did not like the design of or was not too keen on that came around to was the Z3. Love the Z3. Yeah, originally I was not a big fan of that. I thought it was a little blobby and, and boring. And uh, and now I look back and it looks a little classic to me. Also a car with a long bonnet. Long bonnet. <laughs> looks like a Jaguar E-Type, frankly, looking back on it a bit. In, in a way, if you squint your eyes really <laughs> tight. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I mean, maybe in a few years, uh, maybe you'll like the M2 look. Maybe you'll buy one. Yeah, really interesting, really interesting to think about. Can't imagine it. The other thing that I don't like about this new gen of BMW design, which I don't know if this is related to um, Domagage, but I really hate the new gauge clusters. So we talked about how I drove that M3 in LA, and uh, this has the same interior as that M3, essentially copy-paste. And instead of any gauge cluster in front of you, it's like the dash is finished, and then there's this big floating TV screen perched on top of the dash that extends from your where your the driver's gauge cluster would be all the way through to the radio. And um, yeah, I just don't enjoy that. It's it, it's like a little soul sucking for me versus looking at gauges, you know. And and instead of having maybe there's a way to make this show up, and I could just be getting a little bit older in that I don't know how to use tech effectively anymore, but I, I couldn't get it to be anything other than these fucking thermometers to show your revs and speed, you know, like it was a gauge going up and down on either side. And oh, I think it's associated with the, the, the mode that you set the car in. So if it's in sport or sport plus or whatever, it, it thinks that's a sportier look and that's more effective for your driving to know when you're hitting rev limiter. Well, I was, you know, keen enough, Stephen, to try the different drive modes. <laughs> <laughs> you drove in comfort mode? What? Of course. I, I like to try all the drive modes on the cars. And even if I didn't, I would have at least tried that to check, right. uh, to get rid of those thermometers. <laughs> but uh, there was, when you put it into M mode, there was another one that was sort of like a, um, uh, I don't know, like an equalizer uh, type display where... As the volume was getting higher, the uh, bars were getting larger. And I guess that was a little better than the thermometers, but yeah, I don't know. Not for me. Not after you have some really nice gauges on the last M2 or an E36 or even an E60 or your 996. Porsche gauges, hell, that 996 gauge cluster is fantastic for me. Yeah, no, it's good. I mean, uh, this seems to be the way of most cars these days. The 
the day of the analog tack is is gone in the luxury market. Except Everybody for Porsche. Wants... What? Except for Porsche? Yeah. But tack is there. Yes. That's about it. That's the only analog thing. But uh, we'll have to, I guess, next week's episode will all be on BMW interior designs, and we'll have to go through all the designers of the BMW <laughs> interiors <laughs> in our favorite era of the of the BMW interior. <laughs> it's not so easy to find that stuff, you know. Uh, it, it, it took a little bit of searching for me to figure out who uh, designed most of these cars. I did want to mention just a shout out to, I think it is... Kareem Habib, who designed the interior of the E65 series and led BMW design um, for a while uh, it, from 2011 to 2017. Hmm. Uh, and I, I can't think of much that was really fascinating in that time period from BMW, unless he did do the new M2 because it probably was designed in that period. So maybe we have Kareem Habib to thank. Well, I wasn't able to tell here, but be interesting to have a look at that it was you know it's hard to think of anything that stands out because it was just good it was just nice it was it made sense it wasn't jaunting um, but maybe that'll look boring in 10 15 years you know not to get us right back into this but actually the the m3 when it came out in 2015 or 2014 looked really bold remember that mm-hmm. laguna seca blue or no no Yaz racing Yaz marine blue Yaz marina blue was the color i believe uh with that three series and the you know big wheel arches and the body big big wheels it looked really dramatic actually for a regular sedan when it came out um still looks pretty dramatic actually that design is held up and i think that's the language that they used for the m2 mm-hmm. no it definitely all stemmed from from when that first came out um and it's i feel like it's been cranked up a little bit more since then but um yeah i mean definitely jaunting and and definitely a departure from the audis and the the mercedeses of the world the mercedes of the world um (laughs) you always get me on that mercedeses um pronunciation um but uh, yeah, if you even look at a lot of the design these days are all stemming from the electric cars and now finding their way into the standard cars. And I think Mercedes is not taking a dramatic uh, effect on from their electric cars. If anything, I feel like their electric car was designed with the heritage or the essence of maybe the S-Class and just the, the origin of what they came from, from the standard cars. Um, I, I saw what I completely agree with you. And I was going to say that I love the EQS uh, and I know a lot of people don't like it, but there's something very classic Mercedes about that in a way. And I, I definitely appreciate it. Yeah, no, I agree. I saw one go by the other day and it made me turn my head um, and not because it was jaunting or it stood out, but just because it looked cool and good and, and, uh, I appreciate the curves and the elegance of it. it it's a nice um, luxury electric car that isn't trying to shake things up, but just shakes it up enough to know, let you know that it's something different. I wonder if it'll look blobby like the 2000 Audi A6 as time goes on. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, 
you know, when you talk about blobbiness and you're talking about how all the Mercedes have all looked the same throughout the years, I, I think back to the early knots, mid knots, and I, th I disagree. Like the, the early S classes looked nothing like the E class. You know, my dad had a 2002 S class and it looked nothing like the 2002 E class. Uh, with there the four was, headlights, yeah. With four headlights, and then that kind of caught up a little bit and emerged the headlights, but it was still, you could very clearly distinct what is the S class and what is the E class. And maybe that was part of the the, the um, hierarchy of, of, oh, I'm in an S class. You need to know I'm in an S class, not an E class or this and that. The S class looked so modern back then, the E class looking, you know, taking a, a perspective on it from now, it looked sort of classic, somehow Jaguar-esque with those bumps over the headlights. And that's another car I would say initially I did not like the design of, the early 2000s E-Class. And now, for some reason, I think it looks classic. I think it looks great. And I think I would like a clean one of those, if you can find any. Yeah, you should get Aaron to get one of those instead of the LX470. <laughs> But those designs, yeah, Lexus, you know, the the Land Cruisers, I think those are also designs that have held up over the years. They're not particularly special, and compared to today, they're much better looking than the Lexus of today. Especially Here's the LX. Here's an interesting point about Japanese design. Japanese car companies tend to be the last ones to take a progressive step in any direction. We talked about this in relation to. EVs, how they just make hybrids and they're taking a really slow step into EVs. They tend to drag out powertrain development, you know, less uh, wild features and even some of like the buttons and stuff will stay the same over years. And it's just the Japanese way to be more consistent and, and have a very, you know, product, a standard product that, that has stood the test of time and lasts. But when it comes to design, like just exterior visual design, I wouldn't say that they've taken the same approach as they do maybe from an engineering perspective. I think they might be more dramatic often visually in their changes. Well, yeah. what's underneath remains, you know, very similar. Look at the new Prius. I, I didn't, I didn't know, I don't know anything about, you know, the technology of it. Maybe, maybe it's got a whole new battery pack and it's, it's, it's a, technological marvel but i wouldn't be surprised if it's just a new skin you know yeah i, I think for the most part it is just a better re reiteration of of the former one uh i do think the technology and the uh, and the efficiency is enhanced um but not to a degree of which people are talking about the exterior um which people say is it looks really good and it has a kind of a, a teardrop almost b looking um uh, kind of outline to it um and, and so yeah i would i would that's an interesting point on the japanese design and you know we could say they're second movers when it comes to to design where they kind of see where everyone else is going and either decide to go in a completely different direction or you know follow suit i would say most korean car manufacturers tend to follow the likes of the Germans and, and try to emulate yeah. what they've done. Um, well, and it's been successful for them in the last few years. But there's still so many people from 
maybe not stole, but they hired a lot of ex, you know, German car company execs. And that's obviously trickled through to when I think about my experience with Kia's, maybe even the interior button design and controls mm-hmm. felt very Germanic after uh, spending years in, in Audis and Volkswagen and such. I think we could talk for hours about different car designs. Um, it's a, always a nice topic to sort of uh, see where we have similar opinions and where we might differ. Uh, I mean, someone could come in, they could love the new BMW designs. They're just, as the article I read said, if we don't like it, it means they weren't meant for us. Well, you know, th- those people would just be wrong, Stephen. Did <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you want to talk about British design cars now? Well, we, I guess we could talk a little bit about the <clears throat> the new Lotus Amira. Yeah, it looks really good, actually. And I hear it drives good, too. Not quite as nicely as the 718 Cayman GTS 4.0, that is. Well, that's not what some people say. I think it depends <laughs> on what you're looking for. But, uh, yeah, I, I watched the Throttle House video today on, on their review of it. And they said if you're considering a Cayman or anything like it, this should be top of your list. So Ryan, any regrets on going for a Cayman versus the new Amira? No, uh, definitely not. <clears throat> and it's interesting, I sort of instinctively knew this, but I, I listened to a few reviews and what you said confirmed it. The Amira maybe is somewhere between a Cayman and a Miata. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great thing. And I bet that's an amazing car for that reason. And uh, you know, I, I could imagine it being a lot of fun, probably a bit dirtier, a bit more, maybe even a bit more special feeling in some senses. Yeah. Um, but I suspected that it would be not the most pleasant to use on a day-to-day basis. Being a Lotus British car, you know, it's just going to have lots of little foibles, which you would easily ignore on that really special drive when you've got that car on the limit and it's moving around, but that you might not appreciate when you're, you know, day in and day out. Um, What do you think would be some of the characteristics comparing the Lotus to the Cayman that might be more interesting or special on one versus the other? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think a lot stems from the, the engine, which in the new Amira, you can get a turbocharged uh, four-cylinder or you can have a supercharged V6. So you get this whole thing of, depending on obviously which came in, you get turbocharging versus naturally aspirated and some of the characteristics of that. Um, I've only heard about the supercharged V6 and I and I had driven a Avora GT, which had the supercharged V6, same kind of Toyota engine uh, with the supercharger on it, comes from a Camry ultimately. Um, <laughs> but it, it is a fun, exciting car to drive and, and it does feel special in a way where it's a little bit more sprightly um, and the dynamics of it are a little bit tighter in certain ways or a little bit more responsive you know you feel more engaged in the car overall i think versus a 718 which i think does incorporate a little bit more luxury to it a a fuller package i would say um where this one's a little bit more targeted and focused um 
So I, I do think you're going to get ultimately at the end of the day a very different driving experience. And to your point, on a day-to-day basis, you know, the 718 is not going to have any free oil eagles or whatever you said. Eagles. Um, eagles. Um, you know, you, you won't have a faff about it not starting or any of these kind of British inconsistencies about reliability. It's going to work and it's going to, the 718 is going to work and it's going to soak up the bumps and it's going to do everything well. Um, but if you don't have a Miata in your life and you don't have a Cayman in your life, but you want something that, but maybe you have uh, a BMW M4 already or, uh, you know, something or else. Era. <laughs> Maybe you have a, an M2 already and you want something that's a little bit more uh, special um, or just feels different, lighter on its feet than uh, maybe the Amira's the right one for you. There's definitely not a lot of luxuries um, in the Amira. There's barely any trunk space um, and uh, there's really not much to the interior. But when you're in it, you definitely feel like you're in a purpose-built car and it is fun. I would say from driving the Avora GT that with the supercharger and the whole experience, it felt a little synthetic to me. That's the way I would put it. I remember the clutch being very springy um, and not having much weight at all. Uh, and not it wasn't very communicative, the clutch. Um, the steering was very tight. Um, but overall, it was just... It feels like a car you have to drive a lot to really get in tune with it. It's not something you sit and drive well, which I think the Cayman, you can sit and drive well. Absolutely. I totally could see it like that. This is this car that you probably have to dial into. And then when you have that drive, dancing it around some British B-Road at nine-tenths and you have just a little bit of slip angle, it's like, wow, this is we're living. And you might be a little less inclined to do that in the Cayman. You might just you know, uh, not be, you know, not need to push it to that extent because you might enjoy it in, in a more regular way. What else do you think people are looking at in, in that bracket? You have the 718 Cayman, you have the Amira, I guess the M2 uh, or the M4 from BMW, uh, but I think that those are more GT cars than the Amira or the 718. Yeah, one other kind of competitor they brought up is is the Corvette the c8 corvette oh absolutely yeah what do you think about the c8 corvette i've driven that one too and i think it handles great it is a actually a nice departure from corvettes of the past not that i've driven many corvettes of the past so i don't have much to compare it to um but i was very surprised with how well it did in the corners i would just say i hated the uh, the interior, you feel claustrophobic in it. And Aaron and I talked a little about this in our podcast episode kind of two weeks ago or two episodes ago. Um, but you feel very secluded from your passenger. It's very much driver focused uh, and it feels very big and American. Um, also, the the hood angle or the, the windscreen angle is very steeply raked. Or it, it's a it's an angle. It's I guess it's a slow long rake, and very flat. And the glare on it, uh, I thought was terrible. And it I actually got headaches while driving it. Especially because you had that white dashboard. Yeah, that too. Yeah, I mean, I mean the sun just reflects right off it back into the windscreen, and uh, 
yeah, uh, it was very comfortable though, and, and definitely a car that you could drive around and, and use day to day. I think it is very comparable to the Cayman. I can't say about the the trunk space. I don't remember how large the the boot is in that um, for much luggage and things. I just can't get around this C8 Corvette. It does nothing for me. I know I'm in the minority and a lot of people like it, but I just, I really haven't come around to that car since they made it. You know, I didn't like that they moved to mid-engine. I didn't like the design. I don't like that it's an automatic. I think they should have just stuck with what it was. I sort of like those old Corvettes with the big V8 up front. Saw a couple in Florida with the, um, not the cabs, but they're sort of like a Targa, I guess. Targa. I, yeah. Yeah, they have a target top on those. And I saw an old gentleman with a really nice white one with a a brown leather interior. And it sounded and looked nice. I have to say, I said, wow, that's a cool car. But uh, yeah, I'm not feeling that way about the new one yet. Reminds me a little bit of what the uh, looks kind of plasticky, like the C5 Corvette. Uh, The C5, the... 90s one the the 99 2001 and uh i didn't like the way that looked back then but i really came around to the c5 now i think the c5 looks kind of cool uh may, does the c5 have a convex rear window like the like the c5 um <laughs> citroen no no it doesn't have a con- convex window interesting i thought it might have no they're not that bold um you know, talking about designs and things like that, the C4 Corvette, which is the 90s one, I used to not like, but then all of a sudden came to to enjoy the simplicity and the square flatness of it all. I love the look of that car, especially there's a, a set of wheels that were really famous in the Volkswagen crowd. Ross and I both knew about this because we were on VW Vortex. I don't remember the name of the wheels, maybe... They have all kinds of funny names like salad shooters or something, salad spinners. Yeah, but the, the wheels on those C4s looked excellent. They were very cool, and they looked great on Volkswagens, <laughs> <laughs> as it turns out. Volkswagen owners always buying other wheels other than Volkswagen wheels. This is correct. <laughs> Well, maybe, um, you know, I do hope that one day maybe I'll buy a C4 Corvette. They used to be dirt cheap, but have gone up in price, much like 944s have. Um, And you don't get much for your money, honestly. You do not. I can't imagine. You'd have to have a pretty good stable to slot slot that in. Right. It would be just uh, for shits and giggles kind of uh, for a car. (laughs) Correct. Correct. But you should maybe drive a, a C8 Corvette, get past your 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 qualms about the appearance um, and the placement of the engine. Give it a go. You might be surprised. Maybe I'll rent one on Turo. I'll give it a try. I, uh, I had the chance to rent a Corvette on Turo. I'm going to Raleigh in a couple of weeks, the C7 Gen. Um, but I had to, and I was about to do it, but then I realized I needed a back seat. I had to take my mom, so I'm renting the new Bronco. So I'll, I'll be sure to, I'll be sure to tell you about that uh, in an upcoming podcast. I'm quite excited to drive that with a stick. 
I was going to write one oh, out in California, but I ended up changing that to a Cayenne. So I'm excited to try out the new Cayenne as well. What are you mm-hmm. renting for California, by the way? I haven't decided yet, but it might be a new Jaguar F type, but it would be the four cylinder most likely. What about Which you told me it's not Vantage? worth doing. What? What about that V8 Vantage Aston with a stick, Steven? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I um it could be fun. I probably wouldn't want to take that into San Francisco though. Yeah, why not? Take the plunge. Take some <laughs> Live a little. I'll just roast the clutch on some hills with my diamond starts. Oh, I had a little bit of stress about that. There's a, I don't remember if I posted it on Instagram or not, but I rented the Integra in San Fran and I was in, um, oh, I don't remember the name of the neighborhood, but right after I came, came over the Golden Gate, I went up into the hills there mm. and it was on a really steep hill, looked great, stopped. I said, oh, this would be great. I'll take a picture of the car with the, golden gate in the background and i got back in the car and i said what the hell was i thinking this doesn't have a manual handbrake and i don't know how i'm going to start on this hill doesn't have a hill stop it did but it's a little difficult when you're on an extreme grade to want to rely on that you know what Mm -hmm. i mean there's a level of comfort to just pulling the e-brake yourself and knowing exactly how you're going to pull it all together in the end i used the hill start stop and it was it was fine. I had no problems and I didn't even re- re- really ride the clutch. So it was all right. But I did have a little bit of moment of stress. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's it's quite hilly there. And uh, I wonder what percentage of San Francisco owners who do have cars drive manuals. It's a good question. Maybe we'll find out before next time. I'm going to give this homework to Stephen as well, since he still hasn't driven a Tesla. So he it might have a weekend. Really? Apparently, the guy who's selling the Lexus LX470 that my brother is interested in owns a Model 3, and Aaron said, if I come with him, I might be able to drive the Model 3. (laughs) But it requires a journey to Staten Island. (laughs) You should do it. And for the the sake of the story that you can tell us on next week's podcast, as well as the potential to drive a Tesla. Right. I'll talk about that after we go over BMW interior designs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Stephen. Well, I think we should wrap it up here. This was a great, a great shot. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And thanks to all of our listeners. Uh, stay tuned for next week. Maybe we'll talk about BMW interiors. Maybe we won't. But stay tuned to find out. And in the meantime, you can find us on Instagram. And uh, it's the.autoholic. Um the dot in between the the and the autoholic so yeah find us there that's where we're most active and uh yeah hope you join us next time yeah. what did you used to say drive safe and take chances oh that's right i would always end it with the drive safe and take chances that's right <laughs> <laughs> Do that. all right see ya bye